TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. It may be the nighttime, but the sports talk doesn't stop. Sports talk radio that's live, local, and not for the faint of heart. Oh, you didn't know? Sometimes angry. Loud noises! Telling it like it is. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. And pretty much always right. Don't ever argue with the big dog. Big dog is always right. Text or call 404-741-0929 and be part of the show. Well... We're waiting. Live from the Kia Studios, it's time for the John Chuckery Show. Serving you up sports on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome into Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Yes, it is time for the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out with you in the Kia Studios on this Tuesday evening with you. Going to be with you for the full three. We ask you to download the Odyssey app. You're not in the car as much. You want to listen in. Put the Odyssey app on one of your devices today. You can use your smartphone. You can use your Alexa speakers, your tablet, your boombox, or your laser disc player, or your light bright. Whatever your device is, just download it on something to be able to catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 929thegame on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, best way to be a part of the show, follow us on our personal Twitter pages, at jmch 316 is your water cooler talking points three to six months in advance of anybody else that is out there producing the show, as always, day-day in the house on the other side of the glass at the D. Lewis for real. Busy, busy uh, show uh, tonight and um, going to get into a lot of local uh, college football. So um, let's start with that. Just really, we've got uh, Chad Bishop going to join us here at 740. We'll get ready for Tech and Louisville coming up on Friday night. And then the day before that, though, we have local football as Georgia State will take on Rhode Island. We'll talk to the voice, the longtime voice of the Georgia State Panthers, a friend of the show, Dave Cohen, will join us uh, as well. So, uh, again, a lot of local college football, and, um, you know, hopefully everybody gets off to a good start. Should be, should be uh, you know, pretty easy all the way around. I mean, not so much Tech Louisville, but that, that will be a fun game, and uh, obviously Mercedes-Benz here coming up on uh, Friday night. We'll also talk to our buddy Bob Nightingale. We'll uh, get his thoughts about, obviously, you know, not just the Braves, but some of the stories about Major League Baseball. But let's start with the Braves last night. Um, Day-Day, do you think Ronnie was listening uh, after I'd been bragging on him and saying that he had been, you know, maybe has had the best out year for an outfielder in Braves history? It seems like it, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, all he did was go four for five with four runs and five RBI, and hit a home run. 
By the way, his batting average is now up to three thirty-five. Yeah, and he isn't he leading? He's leading the league in runs too, right? Runs scored. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's been he's been leading the league in mm-hmm. runs. I mean, he's he's again a hundred and uh, I think he's got a hundred and nineteen now, and uh, on pace. Uh, I don't even know. I mean, he was on pace before last night to break the all-time record, and he scored four runs last night and drove in five runs last night and hit a big you know opposite field home run. But the Braves and what did we talk about last night? Didn't, didn't I specifically yeah, game talk to pad about this? The stats. You, you, a game to pad the stats and kick the crap out of the godforsaken, scuzz bucket, dirt bag, low-life Colorado Rockies. Just beat the daylights out of them. And that's what you're supposed to do. You don't monkey around. You don't fiddle futz around. You don't let the Rockies linger around and think they're going to do something. You kick the ever-living dog snot out of them, and that's what they did. And guess what? Guess what? I'm expecting another seven, eight runs tonight. There's no reason to lose a game to the godforsaken, scuzzbag, fleabag, low-life Colorado Rockies. No reason. Get yourself healthy. Get yourself in a right frame of mind. Pad your stats, put up a bunch of big numbers, and let's get ready for the Dodgers. And let's go out there and beat the brains off them. So, again, uh, big night uh, for the Look, Bryce Elder was just good enough, right? He got through six innings, gave up four runs. He did give up the home run. But, and he, you know, again, eight hits overall. But he did what he had to do. Was it a masterful performance? No. I mean, but it's also Coors Field. And and when you're not a guy who throws overpowering stuff, like when you're not Strider and you get tons of outs with no contact, because that's what you want in Colorado, right? You want a guy that rears back and fires and can blow it right past everybody. Because those curveballs and junk pitches and screwballs and knuckle curve, all that stuff doesn't work very well in Colorado with all that thin air. You want a guy that rears back, fires, and has a bazooka, you know, that he's firing up the home plate. And you end up with just tons of outs with no contact. Elder dances around a little bit. He did what he had to do, though. He got you through six innings. Bullpen didn't give up anything. Minter Jimenez in hand. Didn't do nothing, you know, against them. They end up with 11 strikeouts, you know, last night. And all good. And just, just the way it was drawn up. Be just good enough with Elder. Beat the daylights out of them offensively. Ronnie have a big night. Oh, by the way, too, Day-Day, um, the other thing that we have spent a lot of time talking what's what's been the other thing that we've spent a lot of time talking about with this Braves lineup? What, just how deep it is in that bottom of the order? Seven, eight, nine. Um, they were six for 13 with four runs and three RBI last night. Six for 13, four runs, three RBI. Three hits for Arcia with a run and a uh, RBI. One hit for Pilar with a run and a couple of RBI. Ron, or sorry, Michael Harris, two for four with two runs scored himself. I, I mean, that's what went when the if you're going to go six for thirteen on the bottom of your order with four runs scored and three RBI, you ain't beating the Braves. You ain't beating the Braves. That, that's been the whole key. You keep that bottom of the order churning and burning, 
You know, Ozzie had six at-bats last night. Six. Six at-bats last night. Ronnie had five plate appearances and a walk. So basically he was up six times himself in that game. Riley was up six times in that game. Olsen was up six times again. Why? Because you keep the lineup churning. Turning over, turning over, turning over. And you're six for 13 in your seven, eight, nine hitters. And you just turn that lineup, turn that lineup, turn that lineup, and just keep it going. Now, let's also address what a ridiculous I, – I, I don't know. Again, are they eating too much granola out there in Denver? Is the air too thin? Like, what is the deal with – you know, they had an issue, I think, with their mascot. Did they not last year or something? Yep. Uh, I, I thought I remember that their mascot got, got pegged or pelted or knocked down or something. Ronnie's got not one, but two guys running out on the field. How does that happen? How how do you have the best player in Major League Baseball have two guys running at him? How is there not somebody there? Like It was ridiculous. I would have loved to have seen Ronnie just clothesline, kick to the stomach, stunner, whatever. But that was that was ridiculous last night. And look, you can say, well, you know, things happen. No, they don't. Things just don't happen. You don't think that those guys knew that they couldn't get on the field? You don't think those guys had an inkling about, hey, let me let me put it like this, okay? If you think you can get away with something, you're gonna push the issue. And I don't know if alcohol was involved or whatever like that. But if you think you can get away with it, you know, you know, Daddy, I'll give you a wrestling example. You know, some of these little kids in AEW, the Jungle Jack Perry's and the Young Bucks, the Cucamonga kids and all that, they think they can get away with all their little nonsense when they go against CM Punk. And CM Punk punched the daylights out of the Young Bucks, and then he basically goozled uh, Jack Perry and choked him out at the pay-per-view. You know, what, what, what's the old saying? F around and find out. If you don't think that, if you don't, if you think that there's going to be repercussions and there's going to be something bad happen to you, you don't get as brazen and brave. And, and I think that it's, it's a problem that, and I know Major League Baseball's looking at, we'll talk to Bob about this because, again, does the commissioner have to get involved at some point? It's not like they've never had an issue at Coors Field. And that, that ballpark is a beautiful ballpark. I mean, again, Data, we talked about you've been to Coors Field. It looks magnificent on TV. You know, they, they are, you know, that that's a, they've had some fun teams over the years. It's a great sports town. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it, it shouldn't be like that where, you know, you get these, you get these just jugheads that, you know, end up causing trouble for, Everybody else. And so, again, I thank goodness for Ronnie that he wasn't hurt or any kind of crazy thing. Because, you know, again, when when you when you have guys running at you, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, right? I mean, you just don't – you don't have any idea about what's going to happen. So, uh, again, thankfully he was – there was no issues, no problems. He wasn't hurt or whatever like that. But, again, it's just – it's no place for guys, you know, to be on the, um, on the baseball diamond. So, but – uh, again, Charlie Morton uh, tonight, he'll get the ball. Let's see if he can have another good start. 
Um, again, I expect another seven to eight runs. Uh, they will not start till 840 tonight. So another 840 start, you know, not too late, but I mean, again, a little bit later than, uh, than normal, obviously. And I'm expecting another seven, eight runs. I'm expecting Morton to give us six innings, let's say three runs and the Braves when he exits are up eight to three. I think that's, I think that's where we're going to be at. When, when they get to the seventh inning, Braves will be up eight to three, and he gives up six innings and three runs, and that's that's what he gives up. And we beat the daylights out of them. And then, like I said, you know, one more one more to you know face with Colorado, and then it's on to the Dodgers. And that will be a fun series. This weekend will be a fun series because again, um, you know, Freddie's now second in the. Well, I mean, he's been second, but you know that uh, what, what's that kid's name for Florida? Um, is it Arias or something like that? The second baseman, he's been leading the league in hitting. He's, I mean, and I say this with all due respect, he's dropped down to 350 on the year. He was sitting close to 400 for a lot of the year, but he's dropped down to 350. Ronnie's up to 335, and I think Freddie Freeman is up to 340. So that's your one, two, three in the National League as far as batting average goes. And Mookie Betts is not very far behind. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Arias, I think is what his his name is. So but he's hitting three fifty. I mean, not like he's you know, again, have any bad year, but I mean he was hitting almost four hundred for a lot of the year. He was hitting in the three eighties, three nineties, you know, for a while there. But uh but Ronnie all of a sudden putting a uh putting the surge on and uh you know, who knows? I mean, you know, we'll see what happens. But certainly, uh and I think I saw that on FanDuel, uh I think that Ronnie Ronnie opened up his lead for the MVP, you know, as far as betting odds go and stuff like that, where um, it's gotten a little bit more separation uh, in it. So uh, we'll keep up to date about what goes on with the uh, Atlanta Braves. Uh, The Falcons do get down to 53. Um, No real surprise. We'll talk more about the roster coming up here at the top of the hour in the Falcons flyover. But, um, you know, I'll I'll give you one thought, okay? Here, Dady, I'll give you one thought um, because we're going to talk about the Falcons here. In, uh, in just a few minutes, about five, six minutes from, from right now. Um, the, the first draft class is now all about Kyle Pitts and Richie Grant because, by and large, most everybody else is gone. It's now about Kyle Pitts and Richie Grant picking up, you know, the, the mantra or the baton to, you know, get Arthur and Terry over the finish line for – how good of a draft class that was because, again, that draft class is, you know, going by the wayside and, you know, not even guys in their second year of contracts and stuff like that. That draft class is going by the wayside. It is what it is, but still, when you look for diamonds in the rough, you know, again, that's why I had an issue with Arthur Blank. Well, you know, we had the most dead money in this and the other. Yeah, but you could draft well. You, you you can you can draft guys that that are really high impact players. You can draft the Grady Jarretts of the world that come in and change your franchise around. You know, as a fifth fifth round draft pick, you can you can draft those guys. You're allowed to. You don't have to overspend on those guys. So anyway, all right. Here's what we got: four zero four seven two six zero nine two nine. We're gonna open up the phone lines to you. Are the Falcons good enough to not just win the division? But can they be one of the elite teams in the NFC? We'll talk about that next. Chuck, we're hanging out with you in the Key Studios. Sports Radio, 910 on the game, odyssey.com app.
TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back at a Chuckery Show, hanging out in the Kia Studios on this Tuesday evening with you. All right, 404-726-0929. That is our phone line, as well as our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Here's what I'm asking, okay? Do you think the Falcons are not just good enough to win the division in the NFC South, which is maybe not so much great shakes or whatever, but can they be one of the elite teams in the NFL? Now, I look at, I think that they're, I think when you look at the overall picture of the NFC, that obviously the Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers are in a class by themselves, right? Like those are two of the real, the, the real class of the NFC. And then maybe you get into Dallas is somewhere in that range. Um, I think Dallas is just a little bit below Philadelphia and San Francisco. You know, Minnesota had a miracle year last year. I don't know if they can. I think, what were they, 11-0 and in one-score games or something crazy like that? I don't know if they can replicate that. But, you know, again, they're, they're still going to be a good team. Don't know if they're 13-4 and good. I mean, a lot of things had to happen for them to get to that. And then you saw what happened when it got to playoff time, right? You know, playoff Kirk came out, and you know the Giants were a, a better, more physical team than, than what they were. So I think that Philly, San Francisco, that's the real class of the NFC. Then you get into Dallas, Minnesota. I think Detroit is on the way up there. Don't know if they're there yet, but I think they're on the way up there. You know, and then when you start looking, and we're going to talk about, you know, this at the top of the hour, just pro football focuses, rankings and stuff like that. You know, are the Falcons good enough to be in one of those, maybe like that second tier? You know, again, it all starts with winning the division, right? I mean, if you can win your division, then you're going to get a home playoff game and this, that, and the other, and, and that's that's where you want to be. But you know, could the Falcons be better than that? Can can they be a team that makes some noise, not just, you know, hanging on for dear life in the NFC South, but is one of the better teams? Now, do I think the Falcons are Philadelphia San Francisco good? No. No. I I don't I don't think that I don't think the Falcons are Fris, Frisco Philadelphia level. I, I I think that's the teams that most likely um, and probably from a betting perspective would tell you one of those two teams is probably most likely going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. 
Now, can they be Dallas, Minnesota, um, you know, level? You know, I, I think Minnesota is going to take a step backward. Dallas will be interesting because, you know, it's going to be, you know, some different looks. I mean, obviously, without Zeke Elliott, you know, being a cowboy again, but they've got that stud on defense, and, you know, he's probably only scratched the surface with how good he's going to be. Again, when when you're talking about when you're talking about people saying that Dan Quinn could be a head coach in the NFL, that tells you how good Micah Parsons is. But can we be, let's say, Seattle, Detroit? Yeah, I, I definitely think that we can be in that kind of next tier, maybe just a little bit on the outside looking in, you know, and, and be a pretty good team. Look, I've predicted ten and seven. And part of that is you're playing a last-place schedule, but it doesn't matter in the NFL. If you're 10-7 and seven in the NFL, you ain't got to apologize for being 10-7. and seven. You, you, you win the games that are in front of you, and all those guys are getting paid. So it doesn't matter if you play a last-place schedule or not. Nobody worries about that come playoff time. Nobody worries about that when you know it's time to prove yourself. Now, again, Minnesota may have been fluky because of their one-score results, but listen, you don't apologize for – being 13-4. and four. So 404-726-0929. Asking, can the Falcons not just be a, a division champion, but can they can they get themselves up to, you know, a, a, an upper tier? Now, I, I, think, I think two teams that are on the rise within the NFC, um, Falcons and Detroit. Uh, the, and and we talked to um, uh, Steve Weish, I believe it was, last week, and he thought that uh, the Seattle, uh, Se- Seattle Seahawks were another one of those teams, that Geno Smith would have another good year. And, of course, they finished 9-8 and eight last year. So I think that I think those three teams in specific, Seattle, Detroit, Falcons, should all be on the rise. 404-726-0929. Let's go out to David out in Tucker. What's going on, David? Hey, um, was um, thinking about the offensive line. I think that's a principal problem. I don't think there's enough depth to get the Falcons to win consistently through the schedule, and I think that really puts them in deep poop even if they make the playoffs. Well, certainly, look, um, I, I've been harping on the idea of finding a, a finding more depth on their offensive line because – I'm not saying Matthew Bergeron is Jalen Mayfield by any stretch of the imagination, but and I think Bergeron's a better player, but you're still playing a rookie at left guard, and you only have a second-year center standing next to him. And the last time that combination of second-year center, rookie, left guard was put together, it was a disaster. And, yes, Matt Ryan holds the ball too long and this and the other, but Guess what? We were a better offensive line last year, and Marcus Mariota still held the ball too long. That's the nature at times of quarterbacks because you feel like you can make a play on every play, right? You feel like on every down you can make a play. Quarterbacks will hold the ball probably too long versus just live to tell, you know, live to have another down and play for another down. Quarterbacks think they can make a play on every single possession. So, again, that's, that's the nature of quarterbacks in the NFL. But I do have my concerns about offensive line depth. You know, again, these are a bunch of nobodies that, 
you still have questions, I think, at center. I think you still have questions at left guard. I think you're pretty much set, you know, you know what you have at left tackle and and right guard. That's for sure. But even Caleb McGarry getting the extension and things like that, can he be as good, you know, this year as he was last year? And are they going to ask him to do more? Because when it was come when it came to pass protection, that was certainly an issue. And it's continued to be an issue through his whole career. That those speed guys, they get to him coming off the edge, and you don't know what you're going to get with Caleb McGarry. When he can run block, and he can run block beside Chris Lindstrom, he can move everybody on earth, right? That, that's, that's his thing. And that, that, that's been his profile since his college days. If he gets his hands on you, he's going to move you where he wants to. But quick guys get around him. And I do have my concerns about offensive line depth. And obviously we've talked about, you know, the the idea of do we have that fire breather? I mean, we're talking about speed guys coming off the edge and going after McGarry. Do we have that fire breather that can get around tackles in the NFL? But I do think that the Falcons can be in that next tier of teams, not San Francisco and Carolina, and maybe, you know, maybe they bridge the gap between where the Cowboys are and like I said, I mean the, the the Cowboys. I mean they have they have some immensely talented people, right? I mean they they have the best young defensive player in the entirety of the NFL. There's not a better young defensive player than Micah Parsons. And obviously they have a forty million dollar quarterback that they are going to have to have a lot of faith and trust into. So again, they they might be if it's Philadelphia and San Francisco in that top tier, and maybe Dallas by themselves in that very next. I think the Falcons can be in that next range of teams with the Minnesotas and the Detroits and, you know, the Seattles. And, you know, again, we'll see what the NFC South looks like at the end of the day because I still don't think it's going to be a very good division. I, I, don't, I don't think that the division has three teams that are above 500. I don't think that's going to happen in this division. I, I don't think you're going to have Tampa, Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, the four teams in the division – I don't think you're going to have three of those four that are above 500. The Giants are going to be interesting too because you know they had a really good year last year, nine and seven and one. They won a playoff game. They feel like they're better. Saquon Barkley's back in the fold. Obviously, Daniel Jones got his contract as well, so they feel like that they're going to be a much better team. And you know, again, we'll see. I mean, I again, I have my doubts about uh, part of the reason why the Giants were as good as they were is because they have a really good head coach. Part of why we've been able to win even seven games the last couple of years is because we have a really good head coach. So the Brian Dayballs and the Arthur Smiths of the world, I do think that they are really good head coaches, and that's part of the reason why I have faith that the Falcons can certainly make that bounce back from a year ago where they weren't as good in one-score games last year, but they were great in one-score games a couple of years ago in Arthur's first year. And that's where the league lives is, by and large, one-score games. Unless you're the greatest show on turf and you can run everybody out of the building and you have some of the greatest offensive personnel in history and you have half a dozen Hall of Famers on your offensive side of the football, you know, most everything is one-score games in the league. And if you can be, you know, if you can be really good in one-score games, that was Minnesota's whole thing last year. They, they were good in one-score games. In fact, they were great in one-score games. 
If you can be that, you can find yourself into the, one of the top teams in the league. If you can't be very good in that, which is really the difference between, you know, again, one-score games, it, it's so it's so fickle, right? I mean, it's a play here, it's a play there. It's three or four, three or four plays in a game is the difference in, in one-score games and who wins and who loses. And if we can get back on that track that we were a couple of years ago, and part of that's going to be Ritter, part of that's going to be, you know, our defense improving. You know, again, when when teams can drive down the field on you and kick a game-winning field goal and you lose a game by two points or whatever, you know, that's a one-score game that you didn't come out on the other uh, on the positive end of. But if you can get a stop and sack the other team's quarterback before he can drive you down the field and now you force him into, you know, again, we saw that with with uh, you know, Justin Fields. We saw that with Geno Smith. Uh, who was the other game that we saw um, that, you know, when, when we had a late sack and a late play in a game, you know, it, it completely turns around that, that outcome. And so instead of letting a team drive down and, and go for a game-winning field goal and beat you, you sack the, sack the other team's quarterback, and now it's second and 21. And now you completely put them behind the eight ball. So I don't know if the Falcons – I don't think the Falcons are Philadelphia, San Francisco, elite level good like that. But I think the Falcons could find themselves knocking on the door of being in that next group of teams in the NFC. All right, when we get back, Chad Bishop is going to join us. We'll get ready for Georgia Tech and Louisville coming up Friday night from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Chuck, we're hanging out in the Kia Studios. Sports Radio, not to the game, odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back at a Chuckery show, hanging out in the Kia Studios on a Tuesday night with you. 404-726-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. 
Well, coming up Friday night from Mercedes-Benz Stadium, we get ready for Georgia Tech in Louisville. Toe meets leather at 7.30. And one of the guys who will be obviously covering Georgia Tech all season long is the play-by- or sorry, the uh, the uh, beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Chad Bishop joins us here on the WaitForward.com hotline. Chad, as always, buddy, appreciate a few minutes on the show tonight. And thanks for joining me as we get ready for actually toe meat and leather on Friday night. Oop. Chad, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. Yep. So. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited for football. It's uh, This preseason seems like it's been a little bit longer than most. Um you know, Brent Key had his uh, media availability today, and I just sat there thinking, man, I've we've talked a lot about a lot of this stuff for a long time. I'm ready to see some actual football and, and talk about some things that actually matter. Well, let's let's start offensively because this has been a very offensively challenged program at times. And, you know, again, through the Paul Johnson era, you know, it's obviously a run, run, run heavy type of offense. 2007 was the last time a Georgia Tech quarterback threw for just 2,000 yards in a season. And it's been since 2018 that they were even in the top 70 as far as offensive yards go. Now we get Haynes King. Now we get Dominic Blaylock. You know, now we get uh, Christian Leary coming over from Alabama, who was a four-star recruit going to Alabama you know, how much can we expect the offensive production to rise up, if you will, and get to that level of just, you know, being a modern college football offense in, in today's game? You know, it's a great question, and, and we don't have an answer yet. I'm just as curious as you because you're right. I mean, um, you know, outside of option football, you know, Georgia Tech offensively has, has struggled since they went away from it. And you're in a league in the ACC with so many very, very good offenses and elite-level quarterbacks. So Georgia Tech, from that standard, is already behind the eight ball. Yeah, they brought in Haynes King, ton of talent at wide receiver, but we have no idea who's going to step up and be that main target at wideout. They have, you know, virtually five starting offensive linemen back. You know, realistically four. Uh, but but how you know how good are those guys going to be? How physical are they going to be? How much are they going to be able to protect the quarterback? And then what's the running back situation going to look like? You have, you know, a proven guy back there in Dante Smith, and you have a, a transfer from Louisville and, and Trey Cooley. You know, how much will those guys be a factor? And, and, and what will Buster Faulkner do to get that ball in the playmaker's hands? How will that offense sort of model what he's done in years past at Middle Tennessee or Arkansas State or even helping out Georgia from a, a quality control perspective the last few years? Uh, I'm really curious to see how they, they level up. I mean, only 17 points a game last year. I mean, that's not going to get it done in any conference. So they have to figure it out. Uh, they have to figure out a way to put the ball in the end zone and, and increase that point production because no matter how good your defense is, in a, in a league of the ACC, which has some high-powered offenses, it's just not going to get it done. Chad Bishop, beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution covering Georgia Tech, joining me here on the WaitFor.com hotline. You can follow him on his personal Twitter page, at Mr. Chad Bishop. You know, is the offensive um, the offensive line does have a lot of experience, but you know, are they are they? Do you think that they are capable of protecting a Haynes King if they if they become a more balanced offense? Is this an offensive line that can protect the quarterback in the pass game as well as obviously doing some good work in the run game? 
I think it depends on sort of what system and what scheme, you know, Buster Faulkner wants to go with. Is he going to, you know, have a, you know, 50 passes a game where it's, it's sort of a Mike Leach air raid, you know, quick balls, quick slants where they don't have to protect a lot. Is it going to be more of a drop back pro style offense where they are asked to, to protect a lot? Are they going to get the quarterback out on the edges? Haynes King can run a little bit. I don't know if I'd consider him a dual threat quarterback, right? But he has that capability to get out there and pick up some yards on the ground. He's even said in the preseason, he's never looking to scramble, but he will if he has to. So to me, that's the question is sort of what sort of scheme is Buster Faulkner going to employ with this group? And then when it comes to the running game, Brent Key is a former offensive lineman. We were at practice last week and he was right up, you know, in that offensive line group, coaching them, you know, getting in their faces and, and trying to get make them better he's going to demand a lot from that offensive line. And you know, it's just going to kill him if they can't run the ball. So I'm curious to see how much they run the ball, how physical they are, how much they can run the ball in terms of yards for carry and what those running backs can do. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have been focusing on this quarterback battle, but to me, offensive line play is really going to dictate success of this 2023 Georgia tech team. Do you think that this might be an ideal time to get Louisville in this opening game? Because, you know, again, they're they're going with Jeff Brom, and and he's you know got legacy at, at Louisville, and it's going to be a different offensive system, and you know there's going to be tweaks and things like that, and you know obviously trying to get everybody on the same page. Could this maybe you know again maybe maybe if this game was in week seven or eight, it might be different, but maybe is catching Louisville right at the very start maybe a good thing for Georgia Tech. I could not agree more. Uh, I, I've known Jeff Brown for a long time, covered him in his, his early days at Western Kentucky when he took over for Bobby Petrino there. And even back, back then when he first started out, you know, year after year, it would seem like that those teams would struggle week zero, week one, week two. Now, by the end of the year, they were a force to be reckoned with. And when we were at ACC's media days, their football kickoff in Charlotte, I was talking to a lot of the Louisville media folks and and they would just kept saying how soft Louisville's schedule is they got a lot of people back there's a lot of expectations uh, there's a belief that that's going to be a very good team but week one you know there's always going to be some errors things aren't going to be clicking the way every team wants them to be so yeah I mean if Georgia Tech's going to play this Louisville team which has some guys back and maybe a little bit banged up from what we've heard uh, week one is definitely the time to face this Louisville team. Chad Bishop joining us here on the waitfor.com hotline beat writer for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You and I talked about this uh, a previous show. You know, obviously, Keon White headed to the NFL and actually looked pretty good uh, through the preseason um, thus far. Is this a team that can put pressure up front on quarterbacks? I mean, again, we're going to see a lot. There's going to be a lot of good quarterbacks that Tech is going to face throughout the ACC. And obviously, you know, when the Bulldogs come calling, but – is this a team that can put pressure on the quarterbacks? Do you think that can they can they rattle other teams' quarterbacks with that front line? I'd be disappointed if they don't. I mean, they got too many guys back, especially along the front, to, to not do that. Uh, Daquan Dallas, Kyle Kennard, uh, Sylvain Ujuin. Um, they, they've got linebacker Trey, Trey Thomas back. They've got a couple transfers at linebacker to come in and make some plays. Paul Moala. Excuse me. Uh, transfer originally from Notre Dame, spent a year at Idaho. Uh, sounds like he has maybe won the starting job. Andre White, uh, Braylon Oliver from Minnesota. There is a lot of depth and a lot of talent there in that front seven. Yes, it's rebuilt, 
but they're going to have to find a way to get after those quarterbacks. And again, it's, it's not just, you know, freshmen and redshirt sophomores and high level recruits that have come in. These are, these are experienced older veteran guys. So to me, there's really no excuse for that front seven, not to get after quarterbacks. Uh, if they don't, uh, that, that's going to be a big time problem for this tech team. But uh, with what they've done in the past, the way they came on at the end of 2022, the way Andrew Thacker, defensive coordinator, sort of you know turned things around from his play calling standpoint and the success of his defense toward the end of last year, I fully expect them to be much better in terms of getting after the quarterback. Plus, really good secondary for Georgia Tech, right? So that's going to really help that pressure up front. Yeah, and you know, Lamiles Brooks, one of the best safeties in the conference. I mean, is that do you think from a positional group standpoint, maybe their secondary is the real strength of this team? Oh, I think so. No doubt. I mean, they, they've talked all preseason. I mean, I think I'm not going to say they're they're too deep, you know, in the secondary, but they have a lot of talent back there and a lot of experience. And even some of the younger guys came in last season and made, made some big time plays. And um, I think, you know, again, that's a little bit of catch 22. Maybe the secondary was so good because teams were able to run the ball a little bit better on the Georgia Tech defense than they were able to pass it. But yeah, that, that secondary for Tech is going to make plays. They're definitely going to be the standouts for this team. And if they can continue to play as they did last year toward the end of 2022 and even raise their game a little bit. That's only going to help that front seven and help the defense as a whole. You know, and we talked about the schedule. I know, you know, we had kind of said that, look, it, you know, there, there are plenty of landmines. And, and I think that, you know, you're catching Louisville at a good time, but, you know, you really kind of need to be, don't you, 2-0 and o before you go to Old Miss and, you know, again, take on a, you know, pretty good, you know, at least a mid-level SEC team. I mean, it feels like you need to be two and zero going into that game because, again, Old Miss. And if that turns in, you know, if you if you lose one of your first two, then you got to go to Old Miss. But then you're going to you know Wake Forest as well. And like Wake Forest is not obviously going to be the same team, you know, without a Sam Hartman. But still, just you know, back to back games on the road like that, that's never easy. So it, it does feel like there's a chance to get off on a really good foot when you look at the first part of the year. But I think a lot of it does start with Louisville just getting that win and kind of building momentum, you know, going into the schedule. The Louisville game to me is one of these sort of 50-50 games that Georgia Tech mm-hmm. has on the schedule. Louisville, Miami, Wake Forest. Uh, those are some of the games Georgia Tech is going to have to steal if they're going to get to the postseason and get back to a bowl game. You know, you expect them to beat a, a Bowling Green. You expect them to beat a South Carolina State. You expect them to beat a Virginia you do not expect them to beat Georgia, right, or Clemson, or maybe even a UNC, even though I know they were able to string that upset last year. So there, there's some of these games on the schedule that are just sort of maybe toss-ups on paper or maybe where there might be a touchdown underdog or a three-point underdog, and Louisville is definitely one of those games. So coming out of the gates, yeah, your coach is new, but he was an interim coach last year. He returned a lot of the staff and a lot of the talent and a lot of his expectations. Um, so maybe from that regard, Georgia Tech's program is, is just a smidge ahead of where Louisville is starting out with a whole new blank slate. So, yeah, I mean, you're playing in Atlanta. I know it's not technically a home game, but you're in your own backyard. you got to have a lot of fans there. you got to come out and perform and, and try to get this one. And then, yeah, like you said, you're 2-0 and going to Oxford. You're feeling pretty good no matter what happens at Ole Miss. You know, Chad, um, what's been the mindset of Brent Key? I mean, he did some good things last year, and look, they won more games at the end of the year than they had, I think, the last two or three seasons uh, with the four wins. But what's the mindset of, of Brent Key going in? I mean, is this is he looking at this as like, look, 
you know, we're still struggling to get talent and we need to rebuild some? Or, you know, is this, you know, damn the torpedoes and and we got to figure out a way to get to a bowl game and things like what's kind of his mindset going into this season? Yeah, it's interesting. I was, I was speaking about this topic with somebody else, and I get the impression from Brett Key that he's he's angry and he's agitated, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, he's, you know, Willie Taggart once used to say, pissed off for greatness. I think that's sort of the, the mindset that Brent Key has this offseason. I, I think he's kind of sick of everybody saying, oh, you know, you went 4-4, four and four, great job as an interim coach. Uh, that's not to his standard. He doesn't want to go 4-4, four and four, and he doesn't want to end up 5-7. and seven. He doesn't want to hear about Georgia being back-to-back or possibly three-peat national champions every single offseason. He wants Georgia Tech to get back to the level uh, that it was, you know, in, in 1990 when it won a you know, split national championship, when it was going to big-time bowl games. Um, so for that reason, uh, I, I think he knows this is a long-term build, but I, don't, I think he's pretty impatient when it comes to that. He wants to go out and win right away. He wants to get Georgia Tech back to the level it was when he was a player and how it was when he was growing up watching them on TV. Uh, and I think that's good for Tech. I don't think he's he's going to sort of be passive and understand that this is sort of a part rebuild and it's going to take a few seasons. He he's ready to go out there and get it done this year. Now he understands that yeah, it is you know technical year one and he's got a lot of transfers who have filled in some gaps and uh, but he's recruiting very well. Uh, he's already got 26 commits going into 2024, and, and I think he he's intent on making this program next level now does that happen this year i don't think so does it happen next year that remains to be seen but for brent, brent key is not gonna uh put together you know a five-year plan and just sit back and wait back he wants to go out and start getting this thing done right away chad last question for you what do you think is going to define tech season this year i think it's going to be i don't know if this sounds cliche but just just the way they play um, you know, Brent Key said today, you know, th- it's not going to be results driven. He- he's more concerned w- with how tech football looks and how people think of tech football. And th- that's fine in the preseason and that's fine to talk about. I, I want to see that happen, right? Like, I want to see does tech have an identity? You know, do they become that tough physical team? Maybe they do lose seven games, but maybe they're by a field goal or less and you can sort of see the positivity in between the white lines. Are they, you know, are they six and six, but it's like a blowout loss here and a close win there, and they're sort of all over the map, and they don't really have an identity. To me, uh, I, I want to see this team sort of evolve and, and create their own identity and see what it's going to look like under Brent Key. That's sort of what I'm watching before, and I think that's what's going to define the Brent Key era first and foremost. Yeah, and you know, I, I will say from a personal standpoint, I, I think that they have to start looking like a modern college football offense. I just, I, I watch this team offensively, and they just him and Hall and struggle, and they can't get anything going. And you know, it just it, it's an offensive world. I, I mean, in college, in modern college football, I mean, we could talk about defenses and all that. I mean, but unless you're Georgia, unless you're Alabama, you know, at that level. Yeah, you can win with those defenses, but by and large, you can't stop teams from scoring in in today's college football world. And you've got to have quarterback play and guys who can put pressure and and put pressure downfield. It just it, it is a college, you know, offensive world. I mean, it just it is what it is. I mean, there's a reason why most of the top teams in the nation. I mean, again, even even Georgia's a 40 point per game, you know, team. I mean, they're they're not 13 to 10 you know, every week. I mean, they're 40 points a game. And I just – I want to see Tech get that offensive identity and just 
look like they're a modern-day offense? Because we haven't seen that for a long time with this program. No, I, I agree. I think that's part of it is, is finding this identity. Is this Georgia Tech football team going to look like, you know, an Alabama? Are they going to look like a Boise State or North Dakota State? Are they going to be more of, you know, an air raid pass it, you know, 70 to 75 percent of the time? What, what is it going to look like? Sure, we've had a taste of it in the spring game, but, but things change with your personnel. Uh, Haynes King is nice. Let's see if he can sort of elevate his game. But uh, like you said, uh, Georgia Tech, they're going to have to at one point get some, you know, five-star quarterbacks. They're going to have to get that next-level guy who's a pro prospect to take this team to the next level. That's what the North Carolinas and the Wake Forests have done to the world. Tech it really has to figure out, you know, where they can find that guy to really help this offense. And helping that offense helps that program take it to that next-level matchup with the Clemsons uh, and the Georgias of the world. So let, let's see where this goes. Uh, it's it's early, you know. It's we haven't even started the Brent Key area yet. We're already demanding a whole lot. But um, I, I I mean I know Georgia Tech fans are demanding just as much because they want their their team yeah. to get back to national prominence. Follow him on his personal Twitter page. Always a good follow, Mr. Chad Bishop uh, on Twitter. He is the beat writer for Georgia Tech for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. By the way, AJC.com is where you can check out all of his work. And he joined me here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Chad, as always, buddy, really appreciate a few minutes on the show, and uh, obviously we'll be keeping up, and um, you know we'll talk again here very soon. All right. Thanks, my friend. You got it. When we come back from the top of the hour, we'll be time for the Falcons flyover. We'll take a look at the Falcons roster as they got down to 53 today. Plus, we'll take a look at where Pro Football Focus has the Falcons roster. Chuck, we're hanging out in the Kia Studios. Sports Radio, not the game, the Odyssey.com app. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 